0: I've been called a lot of things over the years, feisty, ball breaking, gutsy, aggressive, controlling, all those words that have to be put in front of a woman to make them powerful when two professors at Columbia Business School and New York University gave their students the same case study about a venture capitalist to read there was one vital difference between the two (laughs) gender half the students were told that this venture capitalist this go-getting person was called Howard and the other half of the students in a different room were told that this person was called Heidi and when The feedback came back. The students who read Howard's Venture Capitalist Work Career described him as a likeable go-getting chap, while the students who'd read the same document said, Heidi, well, she sounds a bit selfish and not the type of person you would want to hire or work for. We're still fighting the same old shit, guys. So we have to change, we have to adapt, us as women we have to be acceptable, smile, put on the lipstick, be feminine with a little bit of power there. It's wrong, we need to shift this, we need to understand that power should be equal and that power has many guises and it's not just about alpha male.
1: Hello, it's Work Like a Woman. I am Emily Bryce-Perkins, Culture Director of Portas, and I'm here with the one and only, quite frankly, Mary Portas. Quite frankly. (laughs) (laughs) We're sitting
0: in the Shaw Theatre,
1: aren't we? It's it's quite, we should describe it, because it's quite an odd setup that we're doing this from this week. What can you describe? Okay, so we're sitting on the front row of the Shaw Theatre... On an our em- own. An and emitation. tragic if that but is em- the evening. <laughs> um, our producer, Matt, is um, on his haunches in front of us. And we're looking at the stage where you will soon be interviewed by the wonderful Miranda Sawyer.
0: This is the penultimate night of my work like a woman penguin live tour across the country and I'm back home in London London town home crowd yeah there was an odd crowd sometimes the Londoners though they are are they mm-hmm. oh they are they can be so we don't know what to expect tonight but I'm sure it'll be good it's packed house which is really exciting I yeah love sold up to out yeah. we've had
1: a funny couple of nights on the tour so can I can I say what happened on your birthday
0: yeah okay it was so embarrassing <laughs> it
1: was Mary's birthday On Tuesday, whenever that was, 28th of May. And uh, Mary's PA and I, and a few of the girls from from the publishing house, thought it would be a really good idea to go and surprise you. In Worthing? In Worthing. I thought I'd
0: left them in London. Great, I'm off for a nice night. So
1: we get on the train, a couple of gin and tonics in the can, travel down, and then. For one reason, or, one reason or another, it didn't quite work out, and we entered the stage as the house lights came on at the end, and everyone was leaving the theatre, and we looked like just these completely mad women. No, bum what was it meant the to be, <laughs> they'd
0: worked out that the chair who was interviewing me would say, and a little bird told me it's your birthday tonight, which was their cue to run on stage. But she forgot to say the little bird said nothing. It didn't happen, and I was about to leave. House lights up, and these three mad women just landed on me. I pushed you back onto the stage. Well, I know. I was like really <laughs> shocked. I thought terrible time <laughs> with a bunch of flowers, and then
1: Stevie Wonder saying yeah. happy birthday like happy fucking birthday <laughs> please be happy we're here. Yeah. Um, so since the podcast has um, it's been a couple of um, episodes we've had out now, we've had lots of people getting in contact, which is a joy, one of them being um, some girls actually from another part of Penguin who have set up a thing called the Flip, so that's female leadership in publishing, fully inspired after they read work like a woman, and they 've realized in publishing very female heavy. All the men at the top, you know exactly what you're talking about in the book, and they've gone, right, we're going to take initiative. They've used your book as inspiration and they got in contact to let us know that they've set it up and then now they've now created a platform where women can be really honest about how they feel working in publishing and sharing advice and yeah, that it's never existed before. So it's, it's really
0: good. And they brilliant. were saying that um that so many women have now said "Well, I'd like to talk about this you know senior women telling you you know how I achieved how I got there what you know what tripped me up what I've learned and really really wonderful it's and I love this because I often talk in my book about creating your own tribe. You, this doesn't always have to come from the top. No, exactly. If culture isn't changing in business at the top, you can create it yourselves with your teams together. And that is women working together. And um, it's really exciting because so many people write in and say, oh, you know, I've had a terrible time. But it's great also when people write in and tell you yes. what they've achieved and how they have started so, to put yeah. this into
1: practice. And it's working. It makes be very happy and very proud. So we really encourage people to let us know what you're doing. So use the hashtag #WorkLikeAWoman, because we read everything, and it's just it makes everything worthwhile, doesn't it? So we know we're making a change. Yeah, we do read all. We do.
0: So we're at the Shaw Theatre, and tonight's recording will be the one that we'll be playing next week. It's going to be an interview with me talking about the book and well, my worlds of work.
1: Yes. <laughs> so who's our guest this week? This really? week we have Viv Groskop. All right. So Viv decided around her mid-30s, maybe late a bit 30s. later, late 30s, to become a comedian, a stand stand-up up comedian. comedian.
0: We had a little bit of a disagreement of this. I love it. You did. I've known <laughs>
1: this for years, but we did have a little bit of a disagreement,
0: a heated debate. It, it was a heated was, debate. I was Merton sitting in the middle, and you yeah. were both
1: opposite sides of the, of the bench. <laughs>
0: um, and, and I was actually talking about comedy and why there are so few women in comedy, and that I was also sort of talking about the sort of slightly masculine, hyper-aggressive, cut and thrust of like mock the week and have I got news for you and that you rarely see more than one token woman on those shows and that those shows are often about who can be the quickest loud and butting in with one-liners or or great zingers and that tends to be again a sort of alpha culture in comedy and there
1: are a few women breaking through in it but Dave didn't agree with me on that. Didn't but then really no. You, but <laughs> go on, tell <laughs> well, us. Well, ten. Well, after we'd had the discussion, I thought do a, do a Google, and it was ten percent of a, of the comedy industry at the moment is female. See, you can't argue with that. That no, is just
0: ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And and so is it again. This comes back to: do we have the confidence to stand up? There are some incredible male comedians, but what is it? What is it that's stopping women doing it? Is it that the genre of comedy? feels very alpha and therefore they can't break into it or they're just too scared to do it because you know it takes serious guts to stand up I and do
1: that and they've re- broke into it she did she did i remember hearing um a comedian who i used to work with a female comedian and she said that she never met any other female comedian so they suddenly decided one day like well let's all get together so they all got together in a pub in london and al murray who's lovely he al murray walked in with a friend and saw basically every single known female comic in this pub and he just went what, what what are you doing? What are you doing? Just sheer panic thinking that the women are going to take over. But that's what they had to do because they just, you know, creating their tribe. But they never saw each other because mm. it's so difficult.
0: I I really do find women's comedy brilliant. I mean, I, yeah. I was, I, one of the greatest mourns for me of 2016 was that Victoria Wood dying after Bowie. Victoria Wood, that yeah. was just shocking. I, the whole type of that wonderful, gentle, genre of humour went with Victoria and I, I don't know anyone who's quite with, within that league but she was extraordinary wasn't she she was she was amazing again we can just pull a few numbers out but 10% says it all so Viv we'll hear
1: from you after this come in oh hello hello hi hi I'm Yvonne from NatWest I head hi, up women Yvonne. in business
0: oh women in business Yvonne we, we like women you in business. tell us one thing NatWest does that empowers and works like a woman We have so much that we do. It's across the whole bank and completely embedded. We have over 500 women that we have specifically trained in the difference between male and female businesses, looking at gender intelligence, looking at the way females want to network differently to guys because we do like to network slightly different at times and we just try lots of new things because it keeps changing. You talk about that in your book, you have to keep evolving and keep changing the strategy of what you're doing. I like you (laughs) I loved your book (laughs) I think there were some words that you probably, I don't know if you wrote it down in the book What? Well, the JFDI (laughs) Oh yeah Oh, just (laughs) do it Yeah I told somebody that yesterday I had a mention session with a woman yesterday I've been mentoring her for a year and a half now and she's just at that stage she just needs to do it And I told her to write it down in big letters in her book and every time she procrastinates to look (laughs) at it and go on with it. And JFDI. JFDI. Love. What a great tip.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Yvonne. To find out more, just search NatWest Rethinking Business. And now, here's Viv.
2: I had my three children and they were all quite young. They're probably all under the age of six or seven and i was in my i want to say mid-30s but i was probably a little bit closer to 40 by this point <laughs> point. and i realized as they were getting to the age that they start going to school and you start talking to them about what they want to be when they grow up that i was lying to them because i was <laughs> constantly saying you must do whatever you want with your life you must follow your bliss listen to oprah don't don't do what other people want you to do decide for yourself what you want from your life yeah and I realized I hadn't done it for myself and it's when I think when you have children and you find yourself saying these things and you realize you don't quite match up to the advice that you're giving your children
1: I've always wondered about that as a non-parent when you give that advice and you go shit, am I doing this for me?
2: Yeah, so that was a great moment for me in a way because it was a horrible realisation that I was a massive hypocrite. (laughs) But it was a good kick up the ass of, so what is it that you do want? And what are you going to do with this one? But what were you doing at the time? Well, this is why I realised it was so important because in theory, I was already doing what I wanted. Which was? So I was working as a freelance writer and all I... I remember this. Yeah, yes. all I ever really wanted, once I'd gone into a working environment, because I worked in newspapers and magazines and um, when I was in my early 20s, and all I really wanted was freedom. And I, I can't work for people. I, I can't stand being part of a hierarchy. And I thought because I'd done that and I'd achieved that and I was earning my own money, I was in charge of my own time, I was my own boss, I answered to no one. I thought I had it all. And it was after I'd done that for about 10 years that I suddenly started to think, actually, there's something not quite right here. And it can't... I think most people, when they hit that stage, they blame their work because they think, oh, it's because of this terrible company that I'm working for. I hate my boss. Yeah, terrible boss, yeah. Yeah, and so it feels as if it's your circumstances. But for me, I knew that it couldn't be that because... Well, I was my own terrible boss. That's a whole other conversation of the freelance hell of like, the tech department is me, oh dear. The The accounts department department. is me, oh dear. Mm. But I knew I didn't have the excuse of, oh, it's my boss or it's my company. I knew that it was all down to me. And if there was something that wasn't working in the way that I was spending my time, that was my responsibility. And Viv
0: ended up being a stand-up comedian. Now, can I tell you, and I'm quite an extrovert, that fills me quite, with horror.
1: Quite an extrovert, sorry.
0: No, I'll get onto the extrovert <laughs> bit in a minute. We'll get back on that um, in a minute. My sister used to think she was really quiet and she used to write that she was shy and quiet. And then she did the Myers Briggs test and she came out as an extrovert and she went, I can't be. You haven't met my sister. <laughs>
2: There are extroverts and there are extroverts.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) But Viv, please, I could not be a stand-up comedian. And what the hell made you, a mum of three, in your mid-thirties, successful degree in Russian, wasn't it? Russian and French. Russian and French. Can we talk about this? Decide to be, (laughs) oh, I'll be a stand-up comedian.
2: Well, I had always wanted to perform and I'd always wanted to do stand-up. From when I was little, I used to watch uh, Dara Schwartz on the Kids from Fame oh, back yeah. in the 80s. And that was my dream, the new New York High School of the Performing <laughs> Arts. Growing up in Bruton in Somerset, a long way. What a <laughs> nice place to grow up. How's your there now? <laughs> oh, yes, that's it's right. It's posh now. It's very posh now. Well, it wasn't in the <laughs> <Yeah>. 80s. <laughs> and that was my dream. And I grew up in a family where we were quite quiet and mousy and not uh, assuming towards greatness in life. And whilst my parents were very encouraging of me, and they're certainly very encouraging of my academic abilities, I think I sensed from an early age that to do what I would have wanted to do, which was run away to the Italia Conti school. <laughs> that would have been my dream. Fame. I know. I want <laughs> to live forever. Oh my God, that was yep. my dream. I know, wasn't it? Ever um, was, I loved and it. And I just realised it was not going to happen and I didn't have the wherewithal as a child to know how to make that happen. So I changed the idea in my mind to being a writer So I decided I wanted to be a writer and I would go to university and study languages and maybe I would be a foreign correspondent or something like that. And I buried all these real ideas of what I really wanted to do. And I think I always thought at the back of my mind that if it's really meant for you, you'll get chosen and you'll get picked and someone will notice you always imagined
1: like you know that I had thing, that growing up as well it just doesn't did it didn't happen <laughs> just like it yeah, did not well, happen for yeah, me yeah
2: guess what you know walking in life, around Northamptonshire
1: nothing happened yeah, for me yeah <laughs> in life you have to choose yourself yeah yeah
2: right and you, I didn't realize that until a lot when I got a lot older and principally it was because I was interviewing people as a journalist and I was discovering the real story behind their life you know their life stories and it's you choose to do things yourself and you work hard at it and you risk and you fail And by the time I hit my mid thirties, I realized, oh yeah, that's how you become a stand up comedian. You get up and you do stand up comedy. Well, I'll bloody well give it a go. It's really interesting <laughs>
0: you say that because I, I went to, to see you. I remember I was filming and you were doing your one in a little theatre in London. I can't remember exactly. I was at the name of it was the
2: Leicester Square Theatre downstairs. Yeah. yeah.
0: And do you remember I came in with my little trolley bag and sat at the back to, to watch you? And, and you were dressed as Margot from The Good Life in a fabulous. What was the show called? It was called Be More Margot. Be More Margot. And. Um, I remember listening to you because you talked about your your childhood and your mother was from the north of Ireland like my mother was. Uh, was she Catholic? No. Oh, or oh, she was the opposite. Protestant. Oh, my God. I never knew that.
2: <laughs> yeah, well, that's part of the problem, Mary. <laughs> oh,
0: I, I think you and I have a wee talk after
2: this. Uh-huh, <laughs> I'm glad you're sitting uh-huh, on opposite uh-huh. sides uh-huh. of the table. You know what's
0: all that? Ah-ha, this, ah heart. your mummy. I, I, I was much the same. I wanted to be an actress, you know, as a child. And we, we talked about this in the book. Mm. And, I, and actually, I got into RADA. But I, like you, had no idea how to do it. I was just lucky... I had a history teacher, and there wasn't really a drama teacher at school, who saw, used to put on the school plays and saw my potential and helped me do my audition piece for Radha. And so there is a bit that sometimes is luck. You know, that, that happened. I knew I wanted to be this. In the end, I couldn't. My, my, my mother died. Um And my father died within very quick succession.
2: So, Yeah, it's interesting, your story, because you went towards that path.
0: Yes. And it 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 could have so
2: easily turned out. I mean, to get into RADA is is extraordinary and a a marker of your great talent, Mary. Um, But then you you were derailed, you know. I think sometimes for some of us, we don't know how to do things. And I think... Before the internet existed, you had a bit more of an excuse. I think yeah. now
1: there's no excuse, really. You can just Google how to become that thing and how What's to get the, Im- the experience. the importance of role models, though, isn't it? If you can't see a female role model in where you want to be, then you kind of, you know, that's the whole... That's the whole thing about people of color or whatever you need to see more people in positions of power. I mean, obviously there's quite a few actresses. I'm sure you had yes, some inspiration, yeah, but I did. you know, in the world of work, if you can't see people in these roles, so you decide no because this is that's massive. It's not like, oh, I want to be a
0: performer. This is stand-up comedian. This is a there's a massive difference between someone you going and performing to a script with a team of other people whether it's on stage or whether it's a TV show. A stand-up comedian that is is—it's the equivalent of being a tennis player versus a football player. You're a football player, there's 11 of you, you know, and you could have a possibly a week game and there's another gang of them around you. You know, a tennis player, one-to-one, which is, why I have such respect for tennis players. Footballers are OK. <laughs> uh, and uh, you, stand up, it's only you. I mean, you went to the sharpest end, I think. It actually fills me with... So, talk us through how you do it. Yeah, did this. well,
2: it is the most egotistical and individualistic thing <laughs> that you can do. And I found it interesting when I first came into that world because, for me, in a way, it was quite easy to do that. And it was quite an easy career change to make because it wasn't dependent on anyone. So, I just wrote the stuff, went out and performed it. And then, what you're trying to do is get good enough to get paid. Right. And early on, also, I had a lot of delusions in my mind of, oh, I'm not really doing this. It's just like trying Pilates. (laughs) It's just a a new challenge. Uh, And I didn't allow myself to believe that it was something that I really wanted to do and I had to go through quite a lot of hoops in my own mind of proving to myself oh yeah actually I do want to do this professionally and I had a bit of a prevailing wind as well because I had worked as a journalist so I had a lot of contacts and I was used to interviewing people so as soon as people heard that I was doing stand-up even though I hadn't really done anything properly in stand-up yet I was already doing Graham Norton's book tour, Joe Brown's book tour Dawn French, Jennifer Saunders, people, people like that so I was getting <laughs> experience alongside people Who were stellar and having to match up, you know, and be good enough to be alongside them. And that was an amazing experience, and I tried to make the most of it. And at the same time, I was then trying to, yeah, develop my own act, ended up doing five years of Edinburgh shows. And in a way, it's very freeing in stand up because you don't wait for permission from someone else to do it, you have to do it yourself. And that is the great strength and the great drawback of stand-up is that it is all down to you and that's a positive and a negative.
0: I have a theory on female comedians that there are few number one stand-up female comedians and I think it's because most men don't find women funny and yet most women find men funny and that humour invariably it's a powerful force. If you're clever and you're funny, I think to be funny takes intellect. I think some of the yeah. greatest comedians have had huge intellect. So I think there's a power that goes with that. And yet there are many, many more men. And I think in some ways men don't allow themselves to enjoy women's humour in the same way that women do. I've known quite a few girls that have been really funny at school, they, and in girls' schools, and they've been the lead girl. And then they've gone to college where there's been boys, and they've said to me, many girls, I didn't feel confident or I knew I couldn't be the person I was, the funny one amongst women.
2: What do you think of that? Well, I'm being very pensive and quiet here, Mary, because <laughs> I just want people... that You've said some quite deep things here that are interesting, and I think there are a lot of prejudices and biases that are inherent in all of us about how we relate to humour and gender and some of it is to do with day-to-day interactions and some of it is to do with how we relate to people on a stage and those two things are completely different Jane Rivers was somebody who would hold court every single day she used to book a restaurant for lunch and have acolytes who she would basically perform to uh, and every they would day. every day, and she would also every day bankrupt, order <laughs> order a dessert of which she would eat one teaspoonful, which is how she kept her figure. But always ordered a dessert. Always love that story. <laughs> um, not a lesson I've taken for myself, sadly. <laughs> so I think there are certain kinds of personalities, and it's not necessarily gendered, who are good at holding court. And I'm not sure that you necessarily get that much of a free pass anymore if you're a man. Uh, for certain, yeah, there are fewer women doing stand up professionally. And I think. Oh, a lot fewer though. And I, I like well- the Joan Rivers,
0: and I get that. I really, really do get that. But we're picking out a few women. I mean, like, how many times have you watched those chat shows or those oh, I don't know, have I got news for you? Or all those sort of genre of chat. Men, yeah, yeah. men, 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 men. Yeah, men. for sure. How many times for you sure. get called? Oh, would you come on? We need a woman. And I know so many women who refuse to go on because of the power of the male within that and that humour that's been set, entrenched. And if you think about Joan Rivers, I think of her humour and it was that kind of masculine, I don't care what I say, that was that kind of, whoa, that quite shocking uh, out there. And I I suppose it's been set, again, I suppose I'm trying to make the analogy here between business, that the, the rules, the culture, the genre has been set by men for men, and that we're still trying to wheedle our way in there. And in some instances... It's the women who are perpetuating this by keeping it going, by, you know, leaning into the men. That's very Charles Sandberg (laughs) and and going, yes, yes, we accept this, but not doing so for their own.
2: Yeah, well, this is I don't disagree with anything you're saying, Mary. And, you know, you're at the sharp end of this because you would be one of the women who gets the call of, oh, you know, we're doing a TV panel. Will you come on? Yeah. In some ways, I choose to disregard the things that make me feel uncomfortable and that I think are a closed shop. And I would tend to look more at lots of the amazing young women comedians who are coming up. I and mean, we think of people like uh, Bisha K. Ali, Ellie Taylor, Rachel Sarah, Paris. What's her name? Sarah Pascoe. Um, oh, I love um, her. Yeah, Sarah Pascoe, Catherine Ryan. I mean, there's loads of people who are doing stuff on TV, also working behind the scenes, writing. I mean, look at the success of somebody like Sharon Horgan. And I tend to gravitate towards the inspiring examples rather than looking at the status quo, because there's so much that's changing so fast now.
0: No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm not saying that we... And I, I love the fact that you have hope. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah well you've got to no Without I don't hope, listen, uh, listen I'm,
0: I, I, I'm with you completely on that that's why I've asked you because you're just one of those people we, we do Oprah believe now. it but I just do think am I going to? no 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 no. I was just said like that Oprah
1: hope that's something well that no I always, really
0: do believe in it and, and, and I know that Viv does and I do but I just it is there and it's it's a thing that still needs shifting it's another alpha
2: code it is it is, but there are so many, and I'm not defending it or saying that it should continue to exist or that it needs to continue to exist. But the example that you're giving for uh, with television, you know, television is losing its power now. No, and an older audience is watching television. And a lot of the tropes that you're describing of the sort of people they want to see, the sort of people that make them laugh, that's an older generation. And I think a younger generation are looking for completely different things and they're looking completely different places. And
1: that's what gives me hope.
0: I agree with you on all of that.
1: Um, something that women are more guilty of, if I was quoting stats, I think it's about 90% of women struggle with imposter syndrome. Like, is that something that you... Yeah, imposter syndrome is a big buzzword <laughs> at the moment. I
2: think, I don't know, when, you, when did you first hear that expression, Mary imposter syndrome I reckon I probably heard it maybe about 10 years ago I think it was time. and
0: sometimes I read people writing
1: about it and I just think I don't believe you it was actually in I don't believe you 1978 by the way Facts oh was coined 1978. in 1978 really? coined by Pauline Clance and Suzanne Innes. they published um, something called the imposter syndrome and it was around how professional women really struggle oh, interesting Yeah.
2: Well, I, the thing I always think about imposter syndrome and I feel as if I have experienced it but I don't think that it is anything different to self-doubt or yes. anxiety. That's, That's all just, it is. Yeah, it's just wrapped and up, and we yeah. all feel those things, whether we're men or yes. women, at different points in our lives. It could be personal circumstances. I mean, I know I've certainly felt it, probably just after I had each of my children. You know, you're in that sort of baby haze and thinking oh how am I going to make my life work that gives you a lot of self-doubt and low Mm. self-esteem or it did me anyway Uh, and I think you know men have these moments as well I I do think there is a lot of stuff in the culture and it's exactly what you describe in work like a woman Mary of alpha culture I think can cause moments when women are made to feel as if They shouldn't really be here, and that's what imposter syndrome is. Is oh, is it really for me to say this? Should I really speak up in this meeting? Have I really got the expertise and the experience to say this? You know, and it's learning to quieten that voice and realizing that it's not personal to you. It's just part of the human condition. Is that you don't always feel like I'm amazing. Listen to my view in this boardroom. You can see why I don't have a job.
0: Viv, so talk to me about your book because you've written and you do a podcast around giving voice, really, and having a voice. You call it the book's called How to Own the Room, isn't it? And, and your is your podcast called it's yes, How
2: to Own the Room.
0: Let, let's talk about this because this is really important here. you know, I, in my early career, took on the codes of alpha in order to succeed. And I look back and I think that was really draining and exhausting for me. That doesn't mean that I wasn't someone who was an extrovert, but there were times when I didn't feel confident. I did feel stressed by being put into situations that didn't feel comfortable to me. I often felt there were times where I didn't have the, you know, the eloquence or the uh, was articulate enough or clever enough or all those things. I think a lot of people go through. But women do feel this more than men talk to me about the research and what you found out about that and what made you want to write this book
2: well I wanted to write this book because for a long time when I started performing stand-up doing more public events doing more broadcast work I couldn't find anything out there that was a resource for people who are trying to work out how to do this in lots of different environments. So there were you can find books on rhetoric and oratorial attributes <laughs> that are about Winston Churchill yeah. and I have a dream and you know all of these Lucy famous King. big big speeches that we know about. But I couldn't find anything that would be talking about Oh, what do you do if you feel a bit nervous about doing a Facebook Live? <laughs> so, I wanted to do things that acknowledged how the spotlight is coming on all of us a lot more often now uh, in big and small ways. So, the idea of public speaking, in inverted commas, I think is really outdated, and most people don't do public speaking.
1: I do. Oh, of course. course, But, you know, just every day in the office, even if you're suddenly on a Tuesday morning expecting to deliver the results of the week and you're suddenly thinking, shit!
2: Yeah, so it's those public moments that I was interested in investigating and then also the gendered aspect of it because all of these books that existed already about this public speaking none of them really referenced women at all because obviously historically until about 50 or 60 years ago there were very few examples of women giving speeches and if you read somebody like Mary Beard she'll talk about queens through the ages and the amazing speeches that they gave although we obviously have very little evidence and a lot of it is second hand and there isn't enough stuff out there there and so I wanted to do something by a woman for women about women that unapologetically looks at this from a woman's point of view but in the same way that you describe alpha culture and you're not saying that that's necessarily about men versus women I wanted to do it in an inclusive way that says look we all know that the playing field is slightly different for women but I'm not saying it's anybody's fault. I'm just saying it is. And what do we do about it?
0: I mean, I suppose it's linked to this your comedian thing. And what I was talking about is why is it that men or young men and older men seemingly have more confidence to be able to express themselves within work? And feel more confident. And I think one of the stats that we looked at within, was it something like 75% of meetings men uh, yeah, speak men, the most? Yeah,
1: mm. men's voices. What are What is
0: it? What's happened? What are we doing wrong? Like I'm, I'm coming from this having a, I've got a 25-year-old son, I've got a 23-year-old daughter, and I've got a six-year-old son. And I can already see the difference. You know, t- t- tell me what you think on this and on why and what do we need to do and what did you learn?
2: Oh, I have a lot of thoughts about this. Very well, I we feel need like them. It's yeah. really important. I feel like I've come at this from a lot of different angles in the same way that you have too. So well, I've observed this in stand-up. For, so from the beginning in stand-up, I, have, I had to think... Are people relating to me differently because I'm a woman? What can I do as a woman that takes advantage of my gender? What can I use that offsets people who are annoyed by women comedians? Should I care about them? And looking at the ways that other women were dealing with this, I also look at the fact that you know I've got two sons and a daughter, and I want to see how they're interacting and moving and through the world, and ha- I want them to have the same opportunities. I also do a lot of face-to-face uh, performance coaching work in corporates and one-to-one, and some of that is mixed groups and some of it's only women. Do you like that? Um, oh yeah, I love doing that. It's fascinating. Oh,
1: right. And then must you must come into the agency. Oh, yeah. you do, yeah.
2: You start to excavate a lot of these unconscious biases that people have. Tell me. What um, yeah. Well, a lot of it, I think, is to do with what in comedy, actually, they call having a social editor. So round about like age six, seven or eight, we all have a social editor who kicks in and tells us what we can or can't say and what's acceptable behavior and what's unacceptable behavior. If you think the way that, you know, kids are about four, five and six, they're very free and easy and they'll say completely yeah. politically incorrect <laughs> things or yeah. just a terrible thing. We stop saying those things. And in comedy, I you, haven't. I, I know. Exactly I know you <laughs> I haven't. Think, uh, but in comedy people reclaim those things, so that's like you know Jane Rivers is the absolute epitome of that. Is saying the things uh, other people can't say. But, but hang on, all, wait.
0: Go back to that age again. So you're saying at what age? is
2: About age six or se- six, seven or eight. And what did you call it? The, the social editor.
0: Right now, is there a different social editor between boys and girls?
2: Well, I. You know, it's very hard when you look at the academic and scientific research on this because these things are impossible to prove. So there isn't, as far as I know, any evidence on gender. But it's, so what, the social
0: editor comes from what you see and what's happening around you.
2: Yeah, it's about how you manage yourself in society so as not to offend people. And I think everyone knows that we all diff- do different things as a result of our gender to be better tolerated. This is creepy, isn't it? it no, is it's creepy. Not. No, Never. I mean, it's creepy that we do this, <laughs> but we do do it. <laughs> um, so we all do think like, you know, for women, it's things like be a nice person. Say yes yeah. to everything. Make yourself likable. Don't be unattractive. <laughs> <laughs> well, literally, social is don't flash your breasts in public, Right. That's the literal, you know, absolute mm. I'm writing that extreme bit down. end of it. Yeah, be oh, careful. You better with that. write don't that down. Don't be down because doing I'm that me, That's all she talks so, about. She put, a, um, she put a picture up. I'm owning.
0: I'm owning my breasts. And what did it say? It was Easter, just and, and they she looked, just
1: put up her boobs, <laughs> her cleavage. And they looked good <laughs> that day. I was just, you know, I was owning You're Just them. reclaiming them. Some, your social some, editor. Social editor, but um, <laughs> that didn't happen. I don't think it ever happened. In a,
2: in a work or an office environment, you have tons of things that you do. To, to get on and to smooth the the wheels of social interaction. And some of these things are good things, you know, and I often say um, when I'm coaching, uh, a lot of women worry, am I apologizing too much when I speak? Should I not say, oh, I just have a question or just uh, the word just has become a thing that people are trying to iron out um, with a lot of people, they might say like or kind of a lot of the time. Another vocal tick that people have is going up at the end of the sentence. Uh, That's Australia, Viv. That's Australia. But of people have taken it up over here as well. I
0: know. And my daughter's doing the like. Oxford education. Yeah. Like, 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 I went, Verity. Stop all that liking going on. It's and she goes,
2: Verity, that. is it, saying like? She does.
0: Say <laughs>
2: and the thing is like, they but, do. So the thing I talk to people about when I'm doing this work one-to-one or in, in groups is about managing the difference between being normal and just going through your day-to-day life and talking the way that you talk and trying to present a more authentic version of yourself that isn't reliant on the social editor. So the social editor is like me, like me, like me, but the more authentic version of yourself is... I'm not sure I agree with that. Let me tell you why. It's a much more assertive, mature version of yourself.
0: I love what you're saying. I actually, I honestly, that has lifted a curtain <laughs> on me. I genuinely have because I think it's extraordinary. What you're talking about is social editor is at that, that age, that really important move from that baby that freedom where they can swing there you know just where you don't no one's looking you're doing whatever you want it's so amazing isn't it it's what all the Buddhists want us to get back to it's (laughs) exactly it's so incredible and then there's a time where the social editor and I think back to my childhood in the 60s and 70s of a mother my father was the worker who came home respect daddy's in the house quiet daddy's home he's doing his books stop that noise There was where the power was. There was where the strength was. And mummy was clearing it all up around. And so therefore, I'm one of you, mummy. I'm a girl. And I realise all those things that you've talked about. And then that I've got to be acceptable. I've got to take on the codes of what being a girl is. And those codes go into adulthood. And that is not being the one with the voice or an opinion. That is fundamental to it. I, I I literally opened my eyes up to that. Did you think yeah. of that
1: before I mean, No, that no, It's no.
0: so good.
1: I think yeah, really good It's a well.
0: bloody
2: brilliant explanation. Well, I it's quite deep. It is it's, very it's deep. It's quite weird in a lot of ways because we all do it naturally. Mm. And I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing or that we should beat ourselves up for it because we all Men and women, we all want to be, in a vertical as nice people. And we need to be, you know, without the social editor, we would all be flashing our boobs at each other the whole time. And we would all be acting out. You know, it's what they call in, in psychotherapy, acting out is you know the base impulses that we have and it's managing that balance of getting back to that childhood self who is carefree but caring yeah and doing it in an adult way what does that look like
0: I love it I mean I talk about when I really feel totally myself is when I'm connected truly with who I am deep deep down that energy and I Oprah always comes up with a better word doesn't she she (laughs) called her inner frequency
2: in a frequency. How a good frequency. is that, Viv?
0: How good is that? That's why she gets paid more than me. <laughs> just putting it out there. What sort of, and I don't want to be at all tips, because when people say, give me three tips, I go, please, it's just far too big for that. And you're hugely articulate. Give me a sort of roundup, what you would well, be saying to a 23-year-old. The
2: easiest thing, and the whole reason I did these things, you know, whether it's book, podcast, however people access these ideas, I don't care. I just want them to know that they can risk... That's what it is. It's about taking the risk of I'm going to say this thing that might not be popular. I'm going to try this new way of being that might not suit me and might be too overly confident or not feel authentic. But I'm going to try it so that I can rein it back. Just trying totally different things that feel way out of your comfort zone, knowing that you don't then have to be that person Everything is an experiment. You know, this is what I learned through comedy is everything's an experiment. You're just putting it out there to see if it works. If it works, great, do it again. If it doesn't, do something else. That's it. Yeah, It's so simple. You know, and I,
0: one always brings it back to one's personal experience. And I think a lot of where I got my confidence from was when the whole construct of that social editor broke from around me, the death of my parents. And therefore, I was the one left at home because my older siblings had left so that my big brother was, you know, was, had just finished university, my sister was nursing, and so I was left to be the one in charge. So the whole construct changed, and I had to sort of rebirth, as in a way, and, and go out into situations that I was totally not capable of. Well, I was in the end, but didn't feel I was. The risk I had to take is what grew me, and that's what you're saying.
2: Yeah, I you, love that. You
0: did it through... Comedy, and I you've opened my eyes. I kind of actually feel a little bit emotional on that. I think you are, and you're a very clever, very beautiful person, Viv Groscott. Thanks I will for take being that, on. Mary you, I will take
2: that.
0: <laughs> See, she does it in a comedy voice because
2: actually she's quite emotional. <laughs> I am, I am, <laughs> I am actually. I'm a little bit tearing up Oh, there. stop. No, that's really <laughs> good.
1: Hug. Thank you, Viv. Um, I thought that social editing bit was genuinely fascinating. I sat there going why have we never thought about this? Why have we never spoken about this? I
0: I don't know, she's a very bright woman and it just made me think, I can see so many reasons why young women end up like they do Um, and so much we think is about parenting, you often hear people saying, but I parented the same for my children, (laughs) but it's just all that social editing that goes on and all those codes of how we're meant to behave and what our manners are and nice girls don't do this, that happens outside the home just as much so um, very clever and it's made me really think
1: yes just sorry there's some, someone walking along the stage he's doing my lighting you're getting the lighting right? ready for
0: me he's yeah, getting see? the right, okay, so I'm great. shining
1: on the spotlight don't stop him sorry don't Stop him. Um, so next week we will be coming live from the Shaw Theatre where Miranda Soy will be interviewing you and I thought you touched on it slightly earlier maybe with Victoria Wood and I thought it would be lovely to hear one of your stories about Victoria Wood who I love
0: I really was so sad about her going. And and, um, I met her a couple of times, but the first time I met her, she came up to me, and it was just after I'd filmed Mary, Queen of Charity Shops. And she came up and she said, Hello, Mary, can I introduce myself? I'm Victoria Wood, which is just how humble and sweet, like, you know, you need to introduce yourself. And she just said, Can I tell you, I love that series so much. I was jealous. I thought, I wish I'd written that. (laughs) It was a lovely series All My Old Ladies in the Charity Shop which would have been very much a Victoria Victoria word So we're going to finish on a quote from Victoria Life's not fair, is it? Some of us live life in the fast lane drinking champagne and some of us eat our sandwiches by the loose chippings on the A597 (laughs) (laughs) She was a great comedian They've made a statue of her Have they? Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's actually a good (gasps) one because sometimes they can make dodgy statues Well worth it Thanks for that, Victoria
1: Thank you very much for listening and please don't forget to subscribe and like. See you next week.